These guys sang a song called I Believe, and all of those things are some great thoughts. They're really kind of nice, yet they are a degree of platitude, kind of things that are just said that are hardly something for which you want to build your life life upon, hardly something that you want to make life decisions over. On the outside chance that in the deluge of all the bad things that might happen to us in our life that somewhere along the way a flower is going to grow and that's going to be a happy occasion, right? That's a, that's a long game that is not very hopeful to me or that somewhere when we're fumbling around the dark nights of our souls, we may happen to find the room where there is a candle glowing or that when you are lost and you have gone astray, someone, anyone Uh, someone or anyone might come along and show you the way, that somehow the disappointments of your life will be met and the sadness of your life will be, uh, uh, will uh, be, that we experience will be satisfied uh, or that somehow uh, when we're lost we'll be found by someone in the great somewhere, which is how that song ends. What they say is it's a random, vague hope that is hardly hopeful. And some of the things that those people said in that interview are not really places to hope for. They're really not places of certainty. And I wish that I could say this, but I can't, uh, that the church is always clear on where our hope is. Because even in today's church, there is a degree of ambiguity. You can hear similar platitudes even within the Christian community to some of life's most important questions. Questions, many of which are answered by God in His Word, in the Bible. So that you don't have to have some random hope in an unknown God. Which is what Paul is speaking to the Greeks in Athens. You worship an unknown God, let me tell you who that unknown God is. You don't have to have some random hope in which you're you're hopeful that your hope is actually going to mean something, but you can have specific answers, questions that you have that have answers, situations that you've experienced that God comes in to satisfy and give you a solution. The fact is that God has acted and spoken to those very places in His Son, Jesus. See, Christians are growing people. You don't have to know everything before you put your faith in Christ. But as you grow in the Lord and knowledge of Him, you are able then to apply the Word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, to every situation so that you can experience real hope in your battle against evil, in your receiving of forgiveness from Jesus and in your hope of a future glory with Him. That's the good news, that you can have and experience real hope. But here's what's interesting. Even in the church, there's a surprising breadth of belief. Last year, uh, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Christian Resources reported the results of a research survey they titled, Our Theological, Ter- uh, excuse me, Our Theological Temperature. A survey of Christian beliefs. And according to the research, evangelical Christians, and let me define evangelical Christian for you, those who believe in a personal conversion 
through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have a personal response to the work of Christ on the cross for us. That is one of the tenets of evangelical Christian faith. And who have a commitment to the authority of Scripture as the infallible guide for Christian faith and practice. Now, when we define it this way, your clergy and the Church of the Holy Cross are evangelicals. So the research says that evangelical Christians, people like us who sit under teaching like us, who read the Bible like us, and who study it in life groups and at home on your own and things like that, among them, they are equally confused. Here's how. You ready? 91% of Christians affirm that people are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. That sounds right? Yes? Faith alone in Christ alone. That is a biblical worldview. The Bible indicates that we are saved only through faith in Jesus Christ. That is correct. But at the same time, 51% say that God accepts the worship of all religions. And the Bible teaches the opposite of this. And you can see that when Jesus says in John 14, 6, in our gospel reading this morning, that no one comes to the Father except through me. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to God, the Father, to God. And so all of a sudden, we have two positions that are uh, not equal. We believe that we come to salvation through Jesus alone, by faith alone, and that people who worship God in other ways are 50% are equal, are, uh, excuse me, 51% say that God accepts the worship of all religions. Those two can't be together. And the difference is vitally important. It's vitally important to our own life. It's vitally important to our ministry. If Jesus is the only way to the Father and God wants everyone to be saved, as it says in 1 Peter, then we must point people to Jesus and not Muhammad and not to the Eastern religions or not some self-driven perfection. Christians often are confused. Or take this statement, Every sin, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Now they asked, do you agree or disagree with that? Now here is how the numbers broke down. 44% of the people disagreed by that. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. 44% disagree and 53% agree. So mostly half believe it and half don't believe it. So which is it? The Bible says that all people are naughty by nature, are sinful by nature. There's a pop culture reference for you. I'm glad y'all giggled. Eight o'clock, not so much. Um, <laughs> the Bible says that we're all sinful by nature when we're born, since sin entered through Adam. And until we are made new creations and forgiven by Jesus Christ, that is our nature. So everyone sins a little, but most people are good. It's not true. Or this statistic, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 78% of the people agreed with that, and 18% disagreed with that. Evangelical Christians have this one completely wrong. The statement is Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Jesus himself is not created. The Bible is pretty clear, very clear about this. John writes at the beginning of his gospel that in the beginning was the Word. That is his metaphor for Jesus. It's another name for Jesus, the Word. Jesus was there in the beginning, 
and the Word was with God, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was not created. And that is really important because as created beings, you and I cannot save ourselves. And if Jesus is a created being, he cannot save us. But because he is God and he united himself to our humanity, we can be saved. What we believe, friends, what you believe matters. And that is why we are beginning a sermon series this morning called We Believe. It is a sermon series that we'll be looking at the Nicene Creed. The word creed itself is a Latin word that means I believe. And you'll recognize it, you'll recognize the Nicene Creed because we say it every week after the sermon. It was written in 325 AD in response to theological errors or uh, mistaken understandings in the church's teaching, and it has been used ever since to provide a framework for the Christian faith. Knowing what you believe, what the church believes, is going to help you apply the Word of God to your own life. Let me say that again. When you know what the church believes, what the Bible says, it will help you apply the Bible to your life. And this is a sermon series that's going to be applicable, but it's also going to be theological. And I hope you're going to do two things over the next number of weeks. Would you first bring your Bible and a pencil? Because there are going to be things that are told to you that you're going to want to write down. Underline things and take notes. It is that important to your Christian faith. Then second, when you miss a Sunday, it's the summer or it's coming up to the summer, you're going to miss a Sunday from time to time. Go back to the website or to our podcast and listen to the sermon again. It is that important that we know what we believe. So why the creed? Well, let me give you five quick things that knowing the creed will do for you. Are you ready? Uh, incidentally, there are three creeds that we do at Holy. We could do at Holy Cross. One is the Nicene Creed. We do that every Sunday. Then there's the Apostles' Creed, which we'll do today because it's Baptism Day. And then it is okay, but we do not use it in worship very regularly. The Athanasian Creed, which is harder to spell than it is to say. Um, so we have three creeds, but what is it that the creeds do for you? Well, the first thing, and these are all B words if you like, the first, creed, the first thing is the creed gives you balance to your Christian faith. Balance, the Nicene Creed is focused on the three persons of the Trinity, the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equally God, but distinct persons. That is a mystery. It's going to be really hard to explain, but the fact is, is that God, the Bible teaches that God is three persons, all equally God, always existing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the creed will give you a balance because it's shaped on the three people of the Trinity, that God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and your, your right belief and healthy faith are shaped by knowing the balance between the work of God the Father, the work of God the Son, and the continuing work of God the Holy Spirit. That is going to give you balance in your life. But it's also, the creed will give you the basics. It provides basic clarity about who God is and what he does. The third thing is belonging. It shapes who you are and to whom you belong. Fourth, it shapes your belief. And belief is synonymous with faith. And by faith in Christ, you are saved. So that is essential. 
And then finally, it is biblical. Each part of the creed, while developed by the Council of Nicaea in 325, comes straight out of Scripture. And throughout this spring, or this uh, late spring and early summer, we are going to be able to look at that and see the biblical foundations of the creed. So knowing the creed will help you have a balanced Christian worldview. It will give you the basics of who God is. will help you belong as you know to whom you belong. It will give you the basis of belief, saving faith, and it is intrinsically biblical. So here's the question. The question throughout the series. Do you know what you believe? And while this has been a long introduction necessary as it is to the sermon series, we believe, let us now turn to the clause about our Father. Now, it's funny, I'm going to try in the next few minutes to, to tell you what is really about 10 different sermons in these clauses. The other clergy were like, yeah, we all have about five sermons we could preach on these four phrases. So I'm going to try to do that in about another uh, eight and a half minutes. How about that? But if you'll take your scripture, it's on the screen, let us say together this first clause together that we would read normally after church. Say it with me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Friends, there are four basic clauses in this section about God the Father that teaches us four things that we can know about Him. The first thing is, we believe in one God. As you keep your scripture sheet in your hand, because we'll kind of bounce around there, from beginning to end, the Bible speaks of God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it speaks of only one God. Our culture, as we saw from our video this morning, uh, at least those who are somehow spiritually aware or curious, widely believes, as do many Christians, that all religions point to God. And many people believe that there are many gods. But Christianity is decidedly monotheistic. God always has called us in Scripture to reject multiple gods, to reject idols in our lives, gods of our own making. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He has one vision of who you're looking for, one vision of what you are to do. And he proves all of this by his own life, by the miracles that he does. He goes, look, look, this is what God's bringing into the world. He's bringing healing. He's bringing new life. He's bringing resurrection as we celebrate this Easter. And what Jesus says is that not only is there one God, but hear this, friends, this is really incredible, that this God is knowable to you. That's what Paul's saying in Acts. He's saying, look, you worship the unknown God. I have a name for him. His name is Jesus. And Jesus, and, uh, Jesus says this, that you can know your Father in heaven. You can know God the Father if you look at John 4, 14, 7, Jesus says this, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Look, you can know today God the Father when you know Jesus. The, when you know Jesus who reveals himself in Scripture. 
when you know Jesus by faith and receive the Holy Spirit, who is equally God, living within you, he will help you know God the Father. Many people have said this. I hear this periodically around the church. I really can't know God. The fact is, is that you can know him. He wants to be known. He has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. He has promised that when you believe in him, he's not going to give you a book to read, although we do grow by reading the scripture. He's not going to give you a a, a plan to do. No, what he's going to do is he's going to put his Holy Spirit in your heart. And through, uh, through the prompting of the Spirit, it's going to help you live for Him. God the Father is knowable because Jesus came into the world to reveal Him to you. And though Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, He's preparing a place for us, for all who believe. What He has done, He's, he's given His Holy Spirit to teach you and to grow you into His disciple. God is knowable. That's the first clause. The second thing we see in the creed is he is referred to as father. Now this is an analogy, friends, designed to help you to know his nature. How is God a father? Well, first, he creates, he fathers children. And second, like a father, like a good father, he cares for their needs. Not only has he created us all, and we'll look at in just a minute, but he's given us by faith the right to be his legal children, the legal right, so that you are no longer just a a creation of his, but you become his children with all the rights and privileges they are appertaining. I like to say that. That's coming up at graduation season, right? You get this diploma with all the rights and privileges appertaining. But as children of God, you have all the rights of an heir. You will inherit his kingdom. You will inherit what he has. And what does he have? He has eternal life. He has a perfect provision. He has eternity. He is a father. Third thing is he is almighty. He is above everything. Uh, Theologian A.W. Tozer corrects a misbelief that we often have. And here's what he says. So lofty is our opinion of ourselves that we find it quite easy, not to say enjoyable, to believe that we are necessary to God. But the truth is, is that God is not greater for our being, nor would he be less if we did not exist. That we do exist is altogether of God's free determination. And if you look at Acts 17, beginning there in verse 24, this is what Paul says. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. God's existence is not dependent upon you. Nor is he served by human hands, Paul continues as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is not dependent on you. He's not better off with you. But instead, it is his good pleasure to give you life and breath and everything. Now think about the implications of this for a minute. 
while he does not need you, he wants you. And while theologically you don't have anything to offer him except worship, he is sufficient unto himself. And it is actually God in his might who gives, controls, and upholds every part of your life. Not only does he, he wants to. Not only does he, he does it when you're not paying any attention to him. We think that we earn our living, we control our destiny, we are responsible for our well-being. And the reality is, is that even when we do not love him, he's the one who is sustaining everything. He is the one who is keeping everything. He is the one who is providing for you every day. It is a beautiful thing. And then fourth, he is the creator, the maker of heaven and earth, everything seen and unseen. And if you look at Genesis uh, chapter one in our reading, in the beginning, God made everything. Theologically, we believe that he did it ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God created everything. Out of nothing, God created it. He made what you see and know and what you don't see and you don't know, He made that too. He made it with purpose for His glory. In, uh, Acts, uh, in the Acts passage, verse 26, Paul says this, He made from one man, that is Adam, all nations to live on the earth. He, is cre- he as creator has determined the allotted times you live, that is how long, when, and the boundaries of your dwelling place, where you live, even the house or the town or the country. He has determined where you live. He goes on in verse 27, God has determined that every human being should seek him and find him. How about that? That God has determined that you can seek him and find him. He wants to be found by you. So here's the good news, my friends. God, the loving, creative Father, almighty and complete unto himself, the one who created absolutely everything, has determined your life. He's determined where you live. He's determined how long you live. And it is his desire that you seek him, even if sometimes you have to crawl to him, He desires that you seek him and that you find him. It is not because of some random hope that that when a drop of rain falls, a flower grows. That would be a whole lot of flowers. I don't see that many. It's because God created everything, and everything has existence. Every flower, every animal, and you yourself have being because Almighty God determined it to be so. And it is not, as we will dig into the coming weeks, some vague hope that in the darkest hour you might find hopefully a candle glowing to give you a little bit of light. The Nicene Creed says it is the light of God, Jesus, light from light, who will be sent into the world to shine into every dark place of your life and to restore it. And you are not waiting for a stranger, someone, anyone to show you the way out of your lostness. No, it is for us and for our salvation, that Jesus came down from heaven. The creed and the Bible behind it calls you to have a hope in a specific, knowable, knowable, powerful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that as you 
grow in knowledge, that you will grow in confidence, and you will be able to apply the good news to every place of your life.